just gonna wing it. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Popcorn and Perrier. I swear I will not do this voice the entire time. My name is Brady Birkenmeyer, and I am joined here with Ryan Tobias. How are you, Ryan? Hi, Brady. Brady, I'm I'm good. Good, man. I appreciate you doing this. This has been something you and I have been talking about for a long time. We are both uh, avid movie fans, but you're a little different than me. I'm sort of your average uh, way too into movies guy, but yeah. you have uh, uh, credentials. Could you tell me about them if you would? <laughs> sure. Uh, well, first of all, thank you. I'm excited to to do this podcast with you. I've been wanting Good, to do too. a podcast for a long time to yeah. uh, you know, heat the world with my takes. The Absolutely. Can you enough, say enough you takes? have... A friend group uh, uh, that that had some sort of success or something like that in it in podcasting. Yeah, I have some friends who do. I'm not sure how successful they are, but uh, oh, I see. yeah, I do. Somebody who I have does some friends it, who do The the good, uh, the pod, and the ugly. Okay, and, uh, right. They started out by covering every single Clint Eastwood movie written, uh, directed, or starring. Uh, and when, then they, when they moved got the on. Space Cowboys. How bad was that day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they did cowboys? uh they did they do pairings, so they picked one at the beginning and one from the end of his career and then worked to the middle. Oh, that's um, a lot of fun. Yeah. But then they've also done all sorts of, you know, uh Fincher and uh I think they've done Shyamalan. They've done all sorts of directors and actors since then. They did a big Meryl Streep season recently. So Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's exciting. So uh uh so you have yeah, some some friends in it. This is something that you've always wanted to get into. Um, uh, how'd you get started? You know, why do you love movies, Ryan? <laughs> um, let's see. I love movies because I love the transportive spectacle. Uh, the first couple movie memories I have were seeing Bambi at a one screen theater uh, in Phoenix when I was four or five. And being terrified, screaming, running out of the theater. Oh, um, no. Who, who brought you? Was that a parent or a grandparent? I have a. Oh yeah, my mom took me. Uh, my mom okay. did not. She did not remember Bambi and uh, Bambi's mom's death. You know, of course. And the night of the bucks. That shit's intense for a four year old. No, you know? it is int- very intense. So what were you saying? You it, it and, traumatized you? Was that like a one of your first? Uh, yeah, uh, memories and that's of movies? that's kind of important because I like. I, ha- I like a lot of horror and thrillers and disturbing shit. Ooh, and shit, that's for some reason, that's like part of my. Uh, it goes all the way back to my first couple. This is your origin story. Yeah, this yeah. is Bambi scaring you in movies. You're like, ooh, movies should be scary or yes. you and know, difficult in at least some scenes yeah. or something to that nature. Shocking, right? shocking, shocking, shocking moments in movies that. are 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 my favorite. Uh, favorite movies and then uh oh i didn't after that that, i saw uh my grandparents taped uh star wars uh i don't know if it was off off cable or they they rented it and then taped it what year were you born in the 80s 79 79 okay so this would have been like 84 85 okay uh my grandparents get a vcr and they have the star wars tape and i just watched that um you know i watched the movie dozens of times and then at some point, I realized you can just uh, watch a part of the movie. So I would just watch the final 
uh, invasion of the Death Star, you know, the the rebel yeah. assault at the end. Right. The uh, over and over conclusion. and over again. But that, so Star Wars is like huge for me. And specifically, wow. I've realized recently that uh, Princess Leia and specifically in A New Hope uh, yes. is like my, it's where Ideal my- my taste in women comes from. Yeah. Yes. I have a Smart, similar sarcastic. Yeah. <clears throat> I have a similar story about where I got my taste in women and it's Lois Lane. Um, uh-huh. uh, her brassy, you know, boss and everybody the movie? around from Superman, the movie. Yes. Mar- Margo, yeah. uh, uh, Kidder. Yeah. She's, she's definitely up there for me too. So yeah, Lois, Lois Lane was the, the similar thing. And, um, and, you know, I don't know how gross we're going to make uh, this podcast, <laughs> but one of my first masturbatory sessions as a young boy was the scene in uh, uh, Return of the Jedi uh, where she's wearing the bikini and Luke, uh, I don't know why I have to get into the specifics of the scene, but now you're in. Uh, <laughs> Luke is swinging her on the rope, right? And her sure, like butt yeah. flap moves yeah. with the wind a little bit and that was a thing now famously carrie fisher hates these fucking stories um yeah, yeah. hates them hates them hates them just lived her entire life with of men coming up to her and saying you're the first thing i ever jerked up to and she's yeah, and, yeah. She, and then she she famously like said that to the new uh, girl uh, uh, who's in the movies whose name escapes me at the moment and she's like this is what you have to look forward to for the rest of your life <laughs> so when I met Carrie Fisher I didn't tell her the, that Good. story Ryan. Good. so just so you know the type of person yeah. that I am you can you can die with a clear conscience I appreciate that's that that's right you. She, yeah. I didn't add to her strain um, yeah. okay so as a yeah young child you get uh, uh, addicted to the stuff, the shocking scenes specifically, always a big thing. What yeah. made you pursue it? Because that is sort of what you did, right? Yeah, um, I didn't Collegially really... is what I'm uh, leaning towards, but Yeah, yeah. Um, what made you pursue movies? I. It's just always been a subject that I've been interested in. I've never really wanted to be a director. You know, a lot of no. people who get really into movies, they have some fantasy of being a, a director. Their movie. And, and Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just ended up in college. I was kind of fishing around for stuff to study, and I was taking a a, a lot of history courses, a lot of uh, gender study courses, and then a lot of film courses. Um, okay. And I found uh, at Portland State, the film department at the time was in communications. Um, so I had one particular professor who taught like 75% of the film theory courses. Okay. And I just took classes with her every quarter. And then after mm-hmm. three years of that, I had almost enough to graduate. So wow. I kind of accidentally became a film major, but I learned, you know, just a tremendous amount. And then I took some uh, some graduate level courses. I flirted with being a, a film theory professor. Cool. Uh, yeah. So I have a well, little bit of graduate level knowledge of that as well. Well, this is a way for you to be a film theory professor for somehow less money than yes, that yes. would yield you. So our podcast yes. then is uh, the idea of me wanting to uh, uh, steal your knowledge because my credentials, I, uh, I went to uh, college, but I got a degree in, in web, you know, website design and, and, and mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. animation and and uh, Photoshop and you know artsy stuff. Um, but I've and I've but I, you know I've always been a well a fan, just a fan. Of just kind of yeah. all kinds of different stuff. And like comic yeah. books were very, very young, but obviously movies were incredibly instrumental. I watched Superman with my father very, very young. One of my first memories. It was the old George Reeves. Uh, I realized it was a TV show, but at the time I mm-hmm. thought we were watching a movie. <laughs> and uh, so, so that's really implemented. When, um, when Batman came out, my father took the four-year-old me to go see it i believe he wow. said a midnight showing but i'm not 100 percent on that one wow and he said quote because they made a fucking batman movie so he was gonna bring <laughs> his four-year-old to a pg-13 movie my father's not a socially responsible man in any stretch of the imagination but well if he was like my dad, my, my dad took us to see Batman and he was so disappointed that it wasn't like Batman 66. Of course. Like, yes, that's what he grew up on. And when right. he when we came out of that movie, out of that gothic Tim Burton shit, he yeah. was so mad and he apologized. He was like, I wouldn't have taken you guys to see this movie. And I, I of course, loved it. You know, I thought it was the amazing. 66. Um... Yeah. The 66 stuff. Yeah, uh, my dad, would. that's definitely the only shit my dad would have ever had, you know, aside from reading maybe the occasional comic book when he was a child. But I remember him liking it. And one of our very first VHS tapes that was the super old style that cost $120 or whatever, they they were heavier than the later tapes. You know what I mean? Like the plastic was thicker. We had yeah. that for Batman and uh, mm-hmm. obviously wore that tape out. Uh, but cool. yeah, the goal, the 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 aim sort of of the, uh, the reason I wanted to start this uh, podcast, I've done a few uh, podcasts. I'm currently doing another podcast. Super Geeky Playdate was a podcast that I did for about five years. Uh, yeah, we got, podcast. Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. It's, uh, it was a lot of fun and we got uh, quite a few listeners and we got in free every year to the Rose City Comic Con with press passes. Uh, we cover the event and then do a, an episode about it. We did live shows. We did all kinds of stuff. And it was an absolutely amazing experience. Um, now I currently do another uh, show and I would like to try this thing out as well. But ultimately, yeah, I want to talk about movies and I want to use all that incredible information that you learned without having to pay for it. See, I'm yeah, tricking you I'm, into this, Ryan. Well, I'm, hap- I'm, You've been... I'm happy to to offer my services for free. It's more fun um, to me to think to think I'm duping you. Is that is yeah? That okay, 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 okay. Yeah, we can that we can just... make it a bit if you want to make it. a I bit. I can keep that. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> um, I also, uh, on a personal level, as someone yes. who loves movies and uh, you know, grew up reading criticism, um, in high school and stuff, and then in college, of course, uh. And listens to a lot of movie podcasts now. Um, yeah, something that was happening at the uh, while I was in school at Portland State, but happened at a lot of schools across the country, is a uh, the film department or something like film theory moved into the English departments at schools. Okay, um, so most of the people in the uh, film criticism space and and making podcasts are writing for most of. Uh, the outlets that cover uh, movies, uh, they oh, all yeah. have like they all have uh, degrees in literature or journalism. 
um, oh, yeah. which are great, but it's a, it's a very different way of looking at films than how I was sure. uh, taught. And so I hope uh, talking about uh, films, the way, the way I see them will uh, help you, but also just be different from what people hear on other shows about uh, even podcasts that talk about the same movies. I'm completely you know? fascinated. Could you distill for me within a few words your sort of general unique outlook on films or what I am in store for before we start yeah. the subject matter of this episode? Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, uh that we can we can uh we can end the the intro uh, on that note. Sure. Um Okay, great. So the the teacher, uh, the professor that I uh, studied under at PSU, Dr. Brooke Jacobson, um, okay. the first the first thing that you had to do every year and which shocked a lot of people who uh, were showing up to class thinking they would just get to watch movies and then talk about movies and that it would be like fairly yeah. sure, light easy work. degree or um, whatever. You yeah. just watch movies all day. Yeah. So um, in her class, the first paper you had to write every uh, quarter was uh, dissect a movie uh, uh, without referring to the script. You cannot use the dialogue to uh, advance your argument. You can only use uh, the machinations of the plot and then the how it's shot, how it's lit, what people are wearing, how they're the acting, but not what they're saying. The subtleties of the way in which, because uh, movies are inevitably their own incredible medium involving all the different elements that they do, they can tell stories yeah. without any words whatsoever. Yes. And so yes. your professor's trying to open your mind to that, like, kind of right off the bat. Like, this is the way you're going to need to start thinking of things. Yeah, I mean, correct? if you take... Am I getting that right? Yeah, and... It on an average movie, you know, um, even a small movie, the smallest indie movie, the mm -hmm. acting is like maybe five to 10% of, of what's going on to get it made, you know? Huh. Um, yeah. But of course, when people think about movies and they watch them, that's like where 90% of their attention is. Yes, um, of course. So uh, drawing attention to the fact that uh, 90% of what is getting, uh, of the work that's going into making the movie and creating yes. the impression in your mind and giving you those visceral reactions. Uh, that's all being done by people who you don't think about off screen, right. you know, uh, and their work yeah. is kind of unseen. So sure. The subtleties of the, the medium could allow. Yeah. Incredible. Okay. Interesting. The, and then just as far as how I look at movies, cause this is uh, different and sometimes, um, causes causes arguments uh you know with uh with respectable gentlemen who love love film uh, uh -huh. i don't um, those arguments by the way <laughs> so i studied uh, uh film theory from a feminist and a marxist point of view so um okay what what that kind of means is that um i'm always looking at how um uh, all genders and all races are kind of portrayed in a movie or their lack of sure. portrayal too you know um sure uh, having a woman absolutely. yeah um the bechdel test yes for 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 yeah. anyone not maybe following along like uh just a, a quick example of what he's describing here is something called the bechdel test which is a basic ba baseline thing about movies in which uh, uh you know does, does the do the female characters have their own agency they express this by having a conversation that is not about a man is that correct? yes i get that right yeah okay. and there's so, um 
There's a similar test that uh, obviously adapted from the Bechdel test, but Ava DuVarnay also has the DuVarnay test, which is, um, do you have people in co- of color in your movie? And if so, are do they have their own, similar to the thing, do they have their own sure. agency? Are they talking about something besides white? Are they white? just there to help the white guy? There's so yeah. much. So, yeah. like... Uh, yes, because of the podcast that I listen to, is I've only just just touched on these areas that you're going to teach me much much uh, more about. But opening my eyes to the um, Asian mystic stereotype yes. or whatever, and how prominent it is everywhere. Like the movie, I don't know why this leaped into my head, but the movie "What Women Want" with Mel Gibson. <laughs> Like it ends with him like encountering a woman wearing a babushka who like says a thing to him that breaks the curse finally at the end or something. You might also get struck by lightning. That movie has issues. Okay. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I guess um, all that to express that I'm fascinated and I'm interested to learn this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, and then the other thing is uh, the Marxist point of view, which is that, uh, Hollywood is an industry, you know, movies, as much as we love them, are products. And they're made by a hundred, sometimes a thousand people. Um, So the director is important and some directors are very important in crafting a film. But the auteur theory is I I take issue with that, with the auteur theory. Once again, for anyone not following along at home, the auteur theory sort of came to, well, Ryan's going to know way more about this than me. I think it kind of (laughs) became prominent in like, Maybe the 1920s due to like French, what was happening with French film at the time, but maybe that's half remembered. Anyway, uh, uh, the auteur, which just means author in French, is this theory that gave rise to the megalomaniac directors that we know about today. Kubrick and and uh, Wells and these guys who are famous for torturing women or torturing their actors because it's for the greater good of the art. And they're just assholes that are completely unchecked (laughs) is I think what Ryan's sort of argument is. And they're not the end all be all creator of this work. These things are worked on by literally hundreds of people, if not thousands. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. They're uh, yeah. The auteur theory is generally Speak, uh, generally speaking, says the director is responsible for everything that happens on screen, uh, right. for better or worse. And uh, yeah, that in the past it's been used by great artists, uh, in quotes, um, yes. to uh, abuse other people, to do a lot of environmental destruction, like to rain Kubrick terror. Kubrick was over... trying to ruin Tom Cruise's marriage. Yeah, during... he did. He did. He tried. He was like, he was like, I'm gonna take your wife away. From, I don't know how he talked. He like took yeah. his wife wife away from her. Like filmed all these sex scenes with her with this male model. She was yeah. like, Don't tell your husband what we did here today. Like make him yeah. jealous. <laughs> make him jealous in real life so that he looks more jealous on the screen. I'm not yeah. sure that logic tracks. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. But whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, I generally think that uh, directors, while important, and you can talk about their work as a body of work, even if you object to the auteur theory, because at this point, the auteur theory is so well accepted yes, that, that these directors, yeah, everybody thinks that, you know, Fincher thinks he's an auteur, right. whatever I want to say about it. I could argue with him, but you know, he's the one who's getting millions of dollars to make a movie. Well, not exactly. Me, so. and, 
we're yeah. just assholes on on a podcast. So yeah, just asshole. Uh, yeah, this so, asshole on a podcast takes exception to auteur theory. That's all. Yeah, exactly. Which is totally cool. And but I I, I would love to hear, uh uh, you, you know, all of your reasonings and and more about that because it sounds like a per- perfectly reasonable <laughs> stance to take. I think, <laughs> which is interesting to me because as a film fan, uh, uh which again I I uh, wanted to call this. Uh, podcast like the geek and the scholar or the fan and the scholar or something like that because that is sort of the the, the thing that we're trying to reach here and, and as a fan i thought our tour theory was just what it is i didn't know we could yeah. have issues with a tour theory so yeah all yeah. of this is just going to be very interesting from my perspective. yeah um, a lot anything of people, else you want to say? Uh, just, you know, a lot of people have heard of auteur theory, but didn't even know there were other kinds of film theory, you know, like, right. That one is so, because most film critics use Ubiquitous. it. The media uses it. Yeah. It's just uh, commonly accepted. Exactly. I thought that was the thing. Okay. So this is going to be so much fun. I'm excited to learn. The audience will learn along with me um, as Ryan uses that education he spent so much money on and gives it away (laughs) for free to us his (laughs) listeners so without further ado we would like to get to the main topic of today which will be uh uh uh, ryan tell us a little bit about the just the format of this show and the, the way you wanted to do that the what would we say? Blockbuster versus art house movie or, or, or whatever. the. So I think we're going to take a popular movie, uh, a blockbuster movie, uh, uh-huh. a fan, uh, a fan movie. Yes. Uh, movie the types of movies love. that. Yeah. And, and we both grew up uh, watching them, you know, and, and there's a lot to love about them. Um, okay. And we're going to pair that with uh, a more arty movie, a, more, a weirder movie. Art house uh, movie. Yes, a, loosely the uh, art house movie, which doesn't just mean, um, you know, we're talking... Miramax or A24, one of those yeah. distributors, right? Yeah, A24, uh, horror movies, trash movies, uh, exploitation movies, foreign movies. Ah, uh, yes, okay, all that stuff. Anything, anything off the good. beaten path, and we're gonna fun. we're gonna compare the two movies and 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 see how they're different or how they're the same. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe maybe they have uh, a same subject. Maybe it's a, a same similar genre, theme. exactly, yeah. or uh, a same director. Or in this case, you know, uh, today's theme is uh, Bateman Batman. Can you Bateman do the Can you do the voice? Batman. Do you have a Batman voice? Of course, I have a look at Batman, Batman voice, Ryan. <laughs> you I don't, don't have know a why. You don't have a Christian Bale. You know? Oh yeah, no, swear I to uh, me. Yeah, the, just the swear to me. Yeah. And he does the, uh, uh, oh, what is a stupid line? So that's what that feels like. He does, it's <laughs> these ridiculous, and I've heard him talk about the voice, how he had to make the voice so, so ridiculous because he's a real actor in a big rubber suit with funny ears. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and guys that, that yeah, work this craft somehow sometimes have issues. Uh, yeah. uh, I have a whole theory about the voice. Actually, we're we're gonna when later we're gonna get we're gonna get into the voice. I find that interesting. <laughs> um, so those <laughs> oh no, listeners. so we didn't we didn't do <sighs> no. I can't so keep Batman, Bateman. We're gonna talk. Uh, we're gonna right. talk about the Dark Knight, and then oh, we're right. gonna talk about American Psycho. That's right. How... Which both 
involve uh, uh, Christian Bale, of course. Yes, and are they the same character? Is is Christian is 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 Bruce Wayne slash Batman essentially the same person as Patrick um, Bateman slash American Psycho? That's what right, we're going to get into today. Exactly, and it will be a very exciting discussion. So, without further ado, we are going to get into our main topic for the episode, and it is Bateman v. Batman. First, we are talking about The Dark Knight, a movie that maybe is the definition of a blockbuster. It came out in July of 2008. Uh, It stars, of course, Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Heath Ledger, Gary Oldman, uh, Aaron Eckhart, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and Morgan Freeman. It is directed by a little-known director named Chris Nolan. Hans Zimmer, of course, did the music in 2020. It was uh, selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry. Uh, this movie, with a budget of $185 million, uh, hit a billion with a B at the box office. Uh, clearly a blockbuster. Um, yeah. Ryan, well, minute. let's see. This format, let me tell you the fans' perspective of this movie. And then sure. you tell me... Your smart guy shit. How's that sound? Is that good? <laughs> that sounds great, yeah. Okay, I can be kind of brief because everybody knows this movie and I'm Brady and I've done a lot of podcasts where I've talked about this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie is probably, arguably, the best comic book movie ever made. And movie with a capital M. It is all. It is a film. It is a real-ass cool movie with... Uh-huh, action uh-huh. and gangsters and violence and and it also happens to star as the protagonist uh, a guy in a rubber suit with pointy ears and they treated our <laughs> shit seriously in a way yes. that is not done nowadays nowadays when dr octopus tells spider-man <laughs> that his name is otto octavian spider-man uh-huh. has to stop and look at the audience and make a face like he just smelled a fart and go aren't comic books <laughs> stupid guys aren't yes. comic books fucking stupid and then the audience laughs and it's all this joss whedon fucking humor that we can't get rid of this was <laughs> yeah. the before times this yeah. was when you went to a comic book movie. It was a movie first that involved comic books. I remember going and seeing the Spider-Man movie. We are going to see the Spider-Man movie, ladies and yes, gentlemen. Yes. Get your seats. Get your popcorn. This is an event. Now there's 10 that come out every year, of course. But yeah. this movie also touched on the Joker and Batman's dynamic in a way that had only really been portrayed 
in the comic books up until this time with a little bit of flirtation mm -hmm. maybe in other media. The idea being that they are two sides of the same coin, that Batman represents order while the Joker represents chaos. And they, yes. there but for the grace of God, go I. There's an amazing, actually it's a line in uh, uh, The Killing Joke by, why can't I ever remember that old wizard's name? Alan Moore! Alan Moore. Alan Moore looks like an old wizard. If nobody's ever Googled Alan Moore, Google him right now. He is an old wizard. And he wrote some of <laughs> yes. the greatest comic books ever made. He's also a dickhead. Um, <laughs> he wrote a line in The Killing Joke where he has the Joker say that it was just one bad day that caused me. And it was one bad day oh. that caused you. So yes. one bad day can make anyone one of us. And this yeah. is expressed in the film. This is what the Joker's goal is, is to take down the shining star that is Harvey Dent and turn him into one of us. Give him one bad day that will turn him in to this, you know, supervillain. Obviously, you know, we can put it in more simple terms because it is a comic book movie. Fascinating. But that's... Yeah. The Joker's goal. The Joker is wants to show the world, show Batman that the that I'm not unique. That that mm -hmm. I, as the Joker, I want to cause this pain on normal people because this pain was caused on me by people who didn't care. And I'll get into maybe as we go through the movie about a Joker's presumed military background. Uh, due to a lot of the things that he does and the things that he says. Interesting. Uh, uh, Interesting. So, so, and also the Joker is trying to tell himself this line. He's trying to convince himself that he is chaos and this shit makes sense. At the same time, he's trying to convince it uh, to Batman. Like he, he, <laughs> he's not chaos. He tells Harvey Dent, I'm just a dog chasing a car. I wouldn't know what I what to do with it once I got there. He's not, that's not true. The opening scene is the most carefully planned, meticulous fucking heist I've ever seen. He exits the building at the same time. There's a gigantic uh, field trip of school buses. And so he blends right in. He has plans. He He's trying to be an agent of chaos. He doesn't believe it himself. He's trying to prove that he can do it to Harvey Dent to prove that it really happened to him. And he's not just an asshole causing pain on others because pain was inflicted upon him. That's this is very fascinating. I've never okay. uh I've never I've never delved into the psyche of the Joker. Um, Welcome when to thinking about this movie. Reading and, comic uh, books. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting because so, I think you so you 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 come away with a lot of uh conclusions that I have never uh considered. Interesting. Because I that's, think you have this background with, make with, the, with the comics. Fun yeah. dynamic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, so, specifically yeah. when we're gonna talk about a Batman movie. Which again, Ryan gave me this uh uh lowball uh thing so that for the first episode, because yeah, Brady can talk about Batman for ever. So yeah, but that's what we're dealing with with the Dark Knight. It was a huge deal in the comic book community. It dealt with the themes that we had been seeing in comic books since 1986, uh, mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. uh, the Dark Knight came out famously by Frank Miller, and the same exact year, The Watchmen came out by Alan Moore. Things yes. were changed in comic books after that. 
forever. They were edgy. They were real. Who watches the Watchmen? They're not shining beacons heroes anymore. They are in there are human beings with injured psyches who do these things for reasons. Mm-hmm, this moves mm-hmm. away generally from looking at the the hero from the Joseph Campbell hero of a thousand faces archetype that Superman right. fulfills. And I've always loved him for those reasons. Superman is the yeah. modern day Hercules or, or, or any number of those stories. He's our shining hero and he's a hero because he's a hero. He's a man uh-huh who has superpowers, therefore he does good. Period. Uh Alan Moore, in 1986, suggested for the first time, what if he chose not to do good? And that wasn't specifically talking about Superman, but uh, 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 Frank Miller at the same time was discussing in The Dark Knight, what if Superman, with all his shining glory, blah blah was manipulated by a guy like Ronald Reagan. Then what the fuck would the world look like? So, yeah. yeah. Seeing those themes come up in the Dark Knight, this cemented itself quickly in comic book fandom. Plus, it was 2008. All we wanted was really dark superhero movies. (laughs) Here's the dark origin of this comic book. Uh (laughs) Remember Frogman? His wife was killed. Like... (laughs) It's it was a time. That is for sure. It was a time. Now they are a little more silly, which uh, is a, is better, but again, I hate the Joss Whedonification of all of it. Anyway, that is how the the fan community as far as I'm concerned viewed The Dark Knight. What about Yeah. You smart kids. Yeah, this is this is very uh amazing background. So um I can bring to it like the uh, a little bit of the historical context and then how um, the film was received as a film, you know, without it. I don't think anything I'll say is going to contradict your what you're saying. But also feel free to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh no, I'll 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 argue. Please I'll fight out with if me. we need to, but yeah, yeah absolutely. And also, um, I just want to say one thing, uh, just to touch on my point about we're just two assholes on the internet. If anybody, if me and Ryan don't like your movie, don't. It's okay. We're just two assholes on the internet. Don't get mad. We're just two assholes on the internet. You don't got to listen to what we think or or believe what we say. So just that's it. Uh, right. Please continue. <laughs> that's good. Good. That's good. Um. So, uh, 2008, um, as you said, movie, uh, comic book movies have yet to be taken seriously, um, in Hollywood, uh, comic book movies and video game movies, despite they've been trying to make them at this point for 15 years, uh, you know, if not longer, uh, Oh, much well, comic book. I mean, how far back do you go? Uh, Superman was 79, but yeah. Well, I feel like Superman did the super Superman and Superman two did really take it seriously. You know, that yes. was the last and time it they, was like that. But then they poisoned the waters. That Batman yes. eighty nine was supposed to come right the fuck after Superman because you want to capitalize on that. But yeah, yeah. they couldn't get it together. You know, no. yeah. Hollywood's never um, the serialized method of storytelling that comic books are so good at. Hollywood has yeah. never figured out. You know how to replicate that, even though it seems talk, like it should be so natural. Talk on that um, a bit more. What do you mean? Why don't they know that? What episodes or, or, or movies or sequels? It seems like it would be so easy to make uh, yeah. movies and sequels that would be like comic books. Ryan, why can't they figure that out? I don't, I don't know. It seemed like Marvel did have it figured out, you know, there for was a, a while. Little, 
Yeah, for they... phase phase is it phase? I don't remember the phases in it. Phase no two one and phase cares three? about the phases. I'm the yeah. dorkiest that they come. Nobody <laughs> yeah. gives a fuck about what Kevin Feige calls this year's batch of whatevers. I um, think between the Winter Soldier and Endgame, they had the right approach for jumping from movie to movie, tying it all together. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't think they had it before. Like those first, besides yeah. Iron Man and a few others, the first Iron set Man is pretty 2, mediocre. Though, was it was a huge uh, switch. Yeah, like that movie yeah. sucks. Totally sucks. Yeah. And it's supposed to be the one where Iron Man deals with his alcoholism, which yeah, is supposed yeah. to be that character's central thing. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, total garbage I think, movie. I think the way you do comic book movies properly is, you know, uh, not every issue of a comic book, not every four uh, issue set of a, of a comic is like the big climax, you know? No, like, of course. Yeah. You put out, I think you put out a lot of uh, under $100 million movies. And then every three years, every five years, you do the big $300 million, bring oh. it all together, get everyone going. You yeah. know, uh, but other than that, you got to keep it small. And not not every issue of Spider-Man is trying to uh, defeat uh, the villains and, and marry uh, Mary Jane or whoever the fuck every time, you know? Yes, absolutely. There's stuff that that's, that's what's always obnoxious about. Uh, we as comic book fans always hate is that every time you always have to reboot this hero <laughs> and we have to listen, we have to see their fucking origin story again, which yeah, is important yeah. in a movie, yeah. but there, but in, in the comic books, I've never read Spider-Man's fucking origin. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've seen yeah, it. Right. I didn't read the comic that was in. <laughs> I've seen it flashbacked or whatever. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But every time I pick up a Spider-Man comic, it's Spider-Man dealing with an issue. Like, yeah, and the yeah. movies can't seem to do that. They won't just let the next one, you know, and here we go again, you know, or whatever. Like, because and that's, yeah, the movies. Yeah. They take they format. um and they've always done this with comic and video games. Uh they assume I think what's going on is the producers think it's stupid. And so they assume yes. the people who like it are stupid. Yes. And so they have to make, if they're making Super Mario Brothers, it has to be for morons because yeah. only a moron would go to a Super Mario would Brothers go to movie. A Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah. yeah. That, and that so makes it's, sense. It's and very does, condescending. And is that, ever, is that going to, ch I wonder about this with Congress too. Is that going to change once the boomers are finally dead? Like millennial yeah, yeah. filmmakers... Also, I saw a post about how millennial filmmakers are basically making a series of movies where parents finally apologize. This uh, <laughs> uh, everything everywhere all at once is yeah, a perfect yeah. example of this. Uh huh. Um, don't know how I got on that train of thought. Sorry. Uh, so similar? the Dark Knight, and um, in two thousand eight, uh, yes, it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, it w these weren't treated seriously back then. So they weren't treated seriously, and Nolan um, had uh, seemingly. Um, unlocked the magic recipe with Batman Begins because he was That's a right. serious art director right. given a fairly small budget um, yeah. considering how how big these movies would become. Um, and it really paid off and he took it seriously. And that's really the thing about um, people talk about and, and we can uh, uh, get into an argument about this if you want, but I, I don't really think sure. it's um, people always talk about the comics and the comic movies in specific and specifically DC movies 
as being somehow more realistic um or they like Darker to say that like real yes is the, but is it's the really DC just that they're look, taking yeah. the material seriously right like that's right they're making a In, movie nolan and snyder make movies where batman is a serious person who wants to yeah. do things in the world and we don't like you said we don't joke about him like we do in marvel movies you know it is not um, unheard of uh for that dynamic to exist in the comic books as well stan lee famously said that he wrote spider-man as what if jimmy olsen was the one with superpowers uh-huh, so the uh-huh. idea is that dc is the keepers of mythology they yeah they're all they, gods right they're all i mean they're demigod representatives essentially yeah. it's a pantheon in dc yeah. whereas it is people with superpowers in marvel and i think yeah. that that's that's that translates into the movies as well <clears throat> yeah i i agree um so you know when uh dark knight came out it was there were so uh you asked you know what did the smarties think about it at the time to be Mm -hmm. honest i've always you know as we talked about in the intro um i grew up loving star wars and raiders and ghostbusters and all the 80s stuff and then um i got real into you know indie hipster snobby shit in the 90s I love Quentin Tarantino. Everybody did it in the nineties. The nineties was the time to do it. I was into the snobby comic books. Image comics was also created right around the time Miramax was shoving out shit like the pianist (laughs) and the crying game. Like there was good shit. Nineties was, was it for fucking indie shit, man. Yeah. That was some good times. And, and even uh, Tarantino at the time, you know, he was saying all of those young uh, independent directors were, uh, we are not this big corporate bullshit. Yeah. Um, you know, and nerd culture was uh, also looked down upon. Uh, and so by the time Dark Knight rolls around, I am happy to have an excuse to like lean back into loving that stuff, you know? Right. Nolan, my indie snob, you know, director. Yeah. Who made Memento, one of the greatest independent film successes in history. Sure. Uh, now he's on the dark night and I can like enjoy Batman as like an right. artistic thing, you know, yeah. something to take seriously as, as, as uh, intellectual material, not just uh pop art, you know, not, not just schmaltz. So you didn't have this, a similar experience were to you to uh, bring your young daughter to the dark night. You would, you know, p- potentially, let's say for the first time, you would not then exit like your father had with the 89 one and say like, I don't know what the fuck they did to Batman. I apologize that you had yeah, to sit no, through no, that. No. Like, you know what I mean? It was something that you, the normies could be proud of. And I understand you are not a normie and I apologize no, no, I, but if I'm like, I'm a geek and you didn't grow. That's not what I'm trying no. to it's, say it's at very, all, but it's very, yeah, it's very representative as we'll get into when we start talking about, you know, the plot and stuff and how I view the Joker differently than you. And, and it's fascinating yeah. that it is the difference of you knowing the comics um, and, and my not, and not having that knowledge. So interesting. Uh, seeing the dark Knight was, uh, you know, uh, a thrill. Um, yeah. It was visceral and, you know, uh, it's and not, love those. yeah. And the critical community was very much uh, in line with the idea that the Academy should change to, the Dark Knight should have been nominated and, you know, right. all the changes that have happened since then. And now 
the critical community looks back on Dark Knight, and I do some of this as well, uh, cynically, because comics took over so much of Hollywood. And like, how did this movie ruin, you know, quote unquote, uh, uh, Hollywood for a couple of years? How did it just years, fuck you know? them? You know, Hollywood's ability to learn the wrong lessons from every 100%. success is unfathomable. Wait until you see these Barbie knockoffs that we're going to get <laughs> yeah. 150 of that are yeah. all terrible. They're yeah. all going to be fucking terrible. Yeah. It's going to be, it's, it's just real weird how they do that. Um, okay, so... Do you want to get into the plot or do you have, let's do it. Let's do it. I don't want to hurry, hurry you or anything, but yeah. No. Um, <clears throat> Ryan, the dark night begins in Chi town, uh, where it is portraying Gotham city, of course. Um, and we see <laughs> what is a very elaborate bank heist with multiple, uh, uh, individuals all wearing, they're Joker masks. They all have specific duties that are that they are uh, assigned to. Most of the time, mm -hmm. they're fairly simple, short, quick duties. And mm -hmm. once they are done, the the person they are working with is uh, 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 set to assassinate them. To to yeah, pop them. You know, one less uh, guy who gets a share or like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Not realizing, of course, and then of course that culminates with the final guy. <laughs> uh, well, not not quite the final guy, the penultimate guy, who's like, "Hey, wait a minute!" He like realizes it right before yeah. his death. <laughs> oh, I hope that doesn't happen to me, Ryan. I don't yeah. want to die going, "Wait, what?" or something yeah. like. You know what I mean? I yeah. don't want to like <gasps> that feeling of wait, and then boom, you're out. And I don't. Yeah. Oh, I hate it. But yeah. so then finally, the pan the the final the final man, and I haven't even touched on William Fickner. I want to call this episode, you and your friends are dead. But, um, <laughs> uh, uh, the final guy, of course, realizes his, the, you know, what's been going on with everyone else and how he, and what we now know is, is Heath Ledger as the Joker. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you were, you were gonna, you know, he told you to kill me next. No, I'm <laughs> supposed to kill the, the bus driver. <laughs> I don't know if that's my Heath Ledger Joker. I'm gonna keep workshopping it. Um, it's pretty good. But but uh, uh, boom, he gets like hit by a truck, which I'm like, well, that is a, a comic book movie that the truck yes. hit right there. You know, this big ridiculous thing just happened to work out. Uh, you know, breaks the realism a little bit. But you're having fun. You're laughing a lot in that opening yes. scene. Like, there's a yeah. lot of funny scenes. Uh, there's a lot of like, well, was that? Uh, you know, three shots or four? Uh, oh, it was four, you know. Okay, boom! You know, where'd you learn to count? But then I kept noticing that the gun kept going off and nobody seemed to die. Like, they seemed to yeah. shoot William Fickner, too, and he's alive at the very end of the scene to get the, to get the, uh, he's gonna get a smoke bomb in his mouth or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, why, yeah, why aren't yeah. we killing people in this? Yeah, he gets anyway. kneecapped, I think. Oh, he gets kneecapped. Yeah. That second shot, uh, the second shot. Okay, okay. So yeah, of so, course, this uh, scene ends with the the bus uh, uh, flailing into traffic, seemingly completely random and chaotically, right? But yeah. it lines up perfectly with what appears to be a gigantic fucking field trip 
into the heart <laughs> of Chicago. Yeah. And it blends it again, comic booky, you know, reality, but it blends in perfectly and no one notices. And the Joker makes his escape with a shitload of mob money. We are now in yes. a mobster movie. Tell me your take yes. on this opening scene, Ryan. So this is so great because I think it sets up. So Nolan's goal, right, is to make an elevated comic movie, something that, as you said in your part of the intro, gets across these uh, generational themes about the the struggle between Joker and Batman and right. their relationship and, and that relationship to Harvey Dent and all that. He, unlike the Marvel movies, which do the, the the wink and the nod whenever they got to talk uh, superhero business. Uh, I think Nolan comes up with an amazing structure uh, for this movie uh, that really uh, is, is demonstrated by the intro here. So in the intro, we have uh, 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 just as, as you uh, called out in your breakdown, this is really like a Michael Mann, a heat heist, you know, this is like, yeah, this is very much like, Oh, I have a note. I have a note about that here. It says, uh-huh. Ryan says this is a classic gangster movie as a superhero film. This is the Michael Mann scene, but there's no good process stuff like he does. There's not, yeah. it, it, it cuts out all of, you know, if it was really Michael Mann, we'd be there as the guy has to figure out the dial. Every right. every right. motion, every putting on the glove, every opening the case, we'd see all that stuff. Yes. But this is a a quicker, you know, blockbustery version, I guess, of that. Yes. Well, so so he takes this uh the Michael Mann uh, stuff of uh there's the pulsing, you know, music that's that's oh. driving you forward, the propulsive yes. music. You have um precise cuts like everything's happening on on the beat. Yes. And all of the information that's being conveyed, there's not a lot of exposition. You're just hearing these dudes talk about uh-huh. the job they're doing that day. Nobody says like, well, we're robbing a bank and there's going to be nine guys in clown there outfits. There is you know? a line about how the silent alarm was not going to the police, that it was going yeah. to a private number, which is yeah. the big, the very beginning of, of world building in that we understand that this is a mob bank. Correct, quote, but it's quote, not. Unquote. They're not providing exposition about what they're doing. You know? I see. I see. Okay. Okay. About how they all got together. You are. They're. Oh, they're trying to figure out. Hey, I'm who... Joe. This is my first time here. Yeah. Blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. There's none of yeah. that. They're just no, doing no their Mr. Job. Pink, Mr. Brown. They're just on the job already. Yeah. Uh, and it's very brightly lit. You see everything that's happening meticulously for not the planning, as you're talking about, but the execution. Uh-huh. You see every domino piece fall to create the yes, absolutely the every step. Like like I like I was saying, little everyone has one little job, and you see right. all those play out in a row, like right. dominoes. But exactly. but then uh, the Joker reveals that this is all a joke. This is all kind of a magic trick that he's put together. Um, and so it's giving a twist on, uh, in a, in a, uh, in a Michael Mann movie, you know, in a yes. Martin Scorsese picture, this would be so serious and there would be no jokes and there would be no reveal of like the gas canister. Right. So that's okay. kind of that, oh, as yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you pointed out is saying, uh, in that intro scene, this is going to be a serious movie, but this one guy, the Joker, yeah isn't beholden to any of the rules of a normal he's serious Bugs movie. Bunny. He's Bugs yes. Bunny. He's the Bugs Bunny and, of the movie. He gets to bounce and around it, and dress like a woman and kiss the guys. Yeah. Which is so what I always want to do. 
yeah, so here's the big magic trick. So Christopher Nolan's other movies, right? He's always obsessed with time. He's playing yes. with time. I it's want to talk about, about philosophy so of much, time. and I don't know if this is the episode, but I want to talk about him with you so, so much. But yes, yeah, we, should, we should cover a lot of his movies going forward. For we sure. will. Um, but uh, so he's, and this movie has no time stuff on the surface of it, right? Nobody's uh-huh. talking about time. It's not, but Nolan smuggles this obsession uh, of his into the movie. And in, in my opinion, okay. uh, through the Joker. So everybody else in the movie uh, is in a, like you said, a gangster picture. It's a Michael Mann. It's a Martin Scorsese, deathly serious thing. Um, and the Batman is rule. Everybody else is ruled by time, right? Like they have to, it's all precise mechanics you see the batman doing everything investigating everything when the batman has to get across town you see him fighting traffic to get across town like every step that the batman takes is charted out the joker is not bound by time the joker is not bound by the structure of a genre picture when the joker needs to show up someplace he just appears we never see the joker coming or going from anywhere and he shows up uh, across town in like 10 or 15 minute. Uh, he gets all the way across town in 10 minutes, you know, it's true. And he, um, if yeah, he needs he appears, a bomb. Yeah. If he needs yeah. a bazooka, which again is yeah. military training, like, well, he's so, so clearly that, got military training. He's clearly, he says the story about like, Oh, but when a caravan gets blown up in the desert, yeah. that's all part of the plan. That's something that so, happened to him. He's right. He's, this so is why he's angry is he's angry at the U S military and he's taking it out on personal on private citizens. So, so I think that that was such a mind blowing bit uh, when you were talking about the comic perspective. And I think from the, you know, Goyer uh, David S Goyer helped break the story. Right. And he's very much of a comic yes. backgrounds guy. Yeah. Um, that name sounds super familiar. I, when I was scrolling, yeah. David S Goyer, what he, I, I, he wrote, he wrote a bunch of blade. Um, oh, hey, the there it is. I just yeah. watched Blade recently. Yeah, that's why he, um, okay, he broke. He helped uh, break the story for all three of the Nolan Batman movies. It's like, oh, interesting. Screenplay by the Nolan brothers and then story by David S. Goyer. Oh, wow. And Christopher Nolan. Um, okay, cool. So I think he's bringing that context for you, for me. And for I think I think the way Nolan intended the Joker to be received we don't know the background of the Joker and the movie doesn't ask you every time the Joker tells you about his background, right. he lies. That, and that so is doesn't... again, that's a comic book thing. The Joker never has one origin. He has all the origins. He, right, this right. time he was a failed stand-up comedian that whatever. And then this yeah. time, blah, blah, blah. The only thing that generally uh, keeps is f- falls into the vat of chemicals at Ace Chemicals. Like, right. That's pretty much it. But everything that happened before that is always up, you know, whatever. So I think uh, if without that context of having read the comics a lot and just knowing that they are nemeses, you know, the Batman and the Joker um, in in this movie, the Joker is a terrorist. The Joker is uh, Al Qaeda, you know, he has uh, nobody understands why he's doing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares where he comes from. He's just interrupting like the normal course of daily life in Gotham. Right. Where Which is his and in the normal like, yeah, because if yeah. it's part of the plan, then it's fine. And if it's not, exactly. if I show up at you fancy, fancy 
a, a party and I, you know, this isn't part of the plan. It's weird. It's wrong, right? Yeah. Well, all of my fucking friends died in that caravan. Like, yeah. But and but to that, that, so to that end, if you don't go that extra layer of reading with the the comic background, mm-hmm. um, he is, uh, you know, his his uh, collaborators that we meet in the movie are all mentally ill. Like, there's no way that he. It's impossible what he accomplishes. Absolutely. And, uh, that is breaking the formula of this procedural gangster picture just yes. constantly yes. until by the third act of the movie, he takes over and it's now the Joker's movie and everybody else wow. is guest starring in the Joker's movie. Wow. You know? uh, and it's and totally, and then it becomes like a horror movie, right? Like, And then your argument a, then also entails that in some way the visual the movie's giving us visual cues and, and things like that of this change in the third act. Yes. And yeah. whatever you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everything gets much, much more chaotic and frenzied at the end yes. of the movie. Plot points sure are not does. meticulously unpacked. You know, Batman's yeah. everybody's it, reacting. The gangsters and Batman are just reacting to Joker in the third act of right. the film. There's and, no... and of course the two, um, the two folks uh, the two parties in the boat where you got tiny Lister there making the hard decision that everybody should have made right away, which is right. we are not going to kill others. If we have to be destroyed, then that's better than killing others, which is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, right. So, so it all, it doesn't go according to the plan. The Joker is proven wrong. He is proved to himself then if, uh, branching off what I was talking earlier that he is just an asshole that it didn't just take uh one bad day but at the same right, time right. his proof his his point is proven in that Harvey Dent who was already a shit face he wasn't our shithead he wasn't a a really shining star he did have right, corruption right. he was known as two face yes. in in law school he he so so yes, one bad day worked on Harvey Dent, but it yes. didn't work on Tiny Lister, who yes. you know is presumably a prisoner on that prison ship or whatever. Weird yeah. time to be moving prisoners at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the in whole the exact same direction. Yeah. So, and that comes to to something else I was thinking of while watching uh, this movie. Um, now, for years, I just unabashedly love this movie right like i've seen it uh, you know dozens of times i always loved it uh, the older it gets the less i think it works and and yeah. and this time i really thought end the movie uh right after uh the joker has been caught uh after the truck flip which is i think yep. the the greatest scene in the film he really like did it. No CGI. Solemn. Flipped a fucking eighteen wheeler yeah. in the streets of Chicago. And then yeah. the the Badass following scene. scene with the Joker muttering, "I want you to do it. I want you to do it." You know, come like on, come on, that is so much. Yeah, come on, come on. I love that. Also, yeah, that scene is so a little powerful. bit reminiscent of when Batman is shooting towards uh, Jack Nicholson in uh, uh, the Batwing yes. and he pulls out the big gun. That is that exact scene. And speaking on that a little bit, I also think the Dark Knight does not age uh, as well as I would have suspected because when I went and saw the Batman, which I uh-huh. my my review was very firmly like, okay, I am seeing Gen Z's 
Batman movie and it's full of hope and like positivity and, and good shit. And, right. and this is a great way to take the character. And I think this is great. And then when I was sitting in the theaters, I was thinking like, Oh, I've never seen a scene where the Batman walks in to an open police investigation with Gordon and all the other cops look around like, Hey Gordon, you can't have fucking Batman in here doing detective work. I've never uh -huh. seen that in a movie. And then I went uh -huh. home and watched the fucking dark Knight right after leaving the theater from the Batman. <laughs> and I realized it's in the, it's the same fucking scene. The yeah, Batman yeah. movie is really, which again is, is a little indicative of Gen Z, a patchwork of yeah. other yeah. stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? It's so, so watchable. I don't, yeah. I don't know if I like that movie, but if it's on, I can sit down. But it's like, it starts as a it, David a Fincher movie. Like it's, yes. it's fucking, uh, uh, seven at the beginning of yeah. that movie, like one hundred percent. Yeah. So I think watching it this time, and I even remember the first time in the theater. Uh, while I love the movie, after the truck flips and it, and you figure out it's just going to go on and on, I was just exhausted. It was like I see. And so I believe in hindsight, you end the movie there. The yeah. Joker's imprisoned. Rachel and uh and Harvey are abducted. And then you get a whole movie to unpack to yeah. because Two-Face was my favorite character in the animated series. I love cool, cool, cool. and I was disappointed that Two-Face gets, you know, 45 minutes and he's not even yeah. the the main they, focus. It's, it's, they, did a, the they did the yeah. Venom in Spider-Man 3 with him a bit. But my yeah. argument against that, though, Ryan, is that the Joker has to bring down the shining star. That's the Joker's right. mission in the movie. And right. he has to succeed. So like, you so, gotta have that turn maybe as no. the end of the movie, you know, Christopher Nolan no. movies are often too long. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm not arguing that a movie couldn't, couldn't be cut down or turned into two movies or something. Maybe, uh, you yeah. know, fuck, we lost uh, a ledger and that fucked the third all to hell, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but, my argument there is we have to see the shining star fall, my friend. That's, and that's, that's got to happen. And that's so interesting. That was the part that kind of blew my mind when you were talking in the intro, because I don't think if you don't have the comic background that uh, the Batman Joker two face relationship, the way you unpacked it is so clear. Uh -huh. Oh, without the context. Be, that could be correct because Batman has this incredible respect for harvey dent that's you right. would have seen that in batman the animated series harvey dent yeah, is yeah. a friend of yeah. batman's he loves yeah. that man and so to have him and that's why you do see bruce wayne he, he has that moment where he listens to what he's talking he he turns off the patrick bateman uh, yeah. uh face for a second and he actually yeah. listens to harvey dent in that scene and he says okay i'm gonna fund you for the rest of your life and he's uh -huh. yes He's thinking this can be it. That I can stop the Batman. The Batman yeah. is obviously uh, something that can't go on forever, but Harvey Dent could go on forever. And he could actually make the big sweeping changes that I really should have been spending this money on the whole fucking time <laughs> instead of dressing up like a bat and beating up guys who are trying to break into an ATM. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Put your money into society, you Fucking lunatic, fascist, lunatic. Yeah, somebody <sighs> had to say it. You're so yeah, great. Eventually, you, you just have to say it. <laughs> I don't even remember where we were talking because I got so mad.
you giving me a lot to chew on because the last time, the last couple times I watched this movie, yeah, I think it's just too long. They're tacking on the Harvey stuff to just get that plot line out of the way so that no oh, one can right. jump to the next thing. But for you, so, yeah, it's actually I'm, very I'm narrative satisfying. Yeah. yeah, I'm identifying. It's like, with it has that. to be there. To your point, it absolutely has right. to be there for it to be. So that's that. That gives me a whole new. Uh, next time I see it, I'll have a different something to chew on there. So uh, the last thing I want to uh, pick your brain about uh, Brady and, and, and unpack a little bit is uh, the Batman voice. The infamous. I feel like the only thing that the is Batman universally criti- criti- criticized in these movies and the Nolan. In the Nolan Batman's, the only thing he that everybody a, dislikes is the voice. He does a big ridiculous one. He does a big ridiculous like this. <laughs> um, Michael Keaton was kind of just doing this. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm Batman. Hey. Uh, uh. But everybody yeah. does a deep voice. And I believe it's Frank Miller who sort of invented that. Uh, uh-huh. uh, he thinks Batman should sound like Clear Eastwood. And he wrote yeah. everything yeah. and made everything so that Batman sounds like Clint Eastwood. So that's that. where that, that yeah. begins. And yes, uh-huh. Bale had to do, and I'll do more uh, uh, research before we talk about uh, um, American Psycho and about his process because I am uh-huh. utterly fascinated. But yeah, that basically he had to just ridiculous, rid- push this voice to ridiculous levels. And now here we are with that as sort of the, you know, that's the Batman impression kind of people do now. Yeah. And so this is, so I agree that it's goofy as shit and, and I make fun of it as much as everyone else. But I think when people make fun of it, they're missing that. It's like one of the overarching themes of the trilogy. Oh, so it starts, it starts and begins and Batman gets the voice when he takes the hallucinogenic drugs, you know, with the, um, Oh shit. The army of shadows. Is that what yeah, they're no, called? No, with the Le- the League of Shadows. Yep, he the League of the Shadows. Little blue, little blue uh, flower, and then and that's, yeah. this is the first time when they first get him there. When he shows up, and he's like, "I'm fucking tired." And they're like, "Fight each other!" Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Then they give him the hallucinant hallucinogen. He talk. He, yeah, that's the first time he does the voice. He that's the first time he hears the voice. Is is, oh. is in one of those? Is when he's working with yeah, the League of Shadows. Weird, right. The yeah. shadow. Yeah. Um, so then he brings it back to Gotham and Scarecrow, when Scarecrow doses people, he also starts talking like this, you know, like only when people are hallucinating and he's got the bag on his head. Yeah. So he is, he's doing the same voice. He's doing the same register of voice, which is weird because that's not the Scarecrow really at all, but they screw up characters all the time. But it it goes along with the hallucin, the hallucinogen, right? Like they're using this voice to fuck up your head after they've dosed you. And to make and you think that you're fear. somehow um, fear. Yeah, it's the it's yeah. the sound that evokes fear. Ryan, yes. thank you so much yes. for explaining movies and, to me. Holy shit! Yes, yeah. So, and then the Joker gets the voice too, right? When he's doing his cam torture of people. Oh, that's right. He yes. is also he using the, the voice on them. The um, yeah, with the the upside down news reporter or whatever. Yeah. I don't remember what he yeah. says, but yeah. Yeah. And then, and yeah. And so then all of these, all of the dual people, you know, all of the, the villain, all of the uh, super people, I don't know what you want to call them. The, yeah, yeah. The the meta humans is, is what they're called in DC comics. They, they all use the voice and this crystallizes in Bane 
whose voice is so strong it takes over the the sound of the movie. The space, like, the yes. space of the movie. You're suddenly just yes. in with like you're you're in a noisy airplane, and you yeah. just hear this pierce thing this voice come out of absolutely nowhere that does this sounds like a cartoon and he says like yes. perhaps she's wondering because, why yes. are you yeah. out of the plane <laughs> like you can't understand what the fuck he's saying but it is yes. this booming voice out of every uh, and and it's and it's, re- and it's when it's recorded right and mixed into the rest of the movie to your point there's no attempt to make it seem like the voice is coming from the scene the yeah. voice is outside it's of the movie. Than the scene. Yeah. And that's Bane's. That's how you know that Bane is the mega villain of the whole trilogy. Because he has shit. the voice better than the Batman. He's the only person whose Batman voice is more powerful than Batman's. Holy shit. Yeah. Isn't that wild? It's so cool. I need to meditate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's Jenny and I talk, awesome. talk about the voice. I make fun of that stupid goddamn voice. So much it's, not the bat because not the dumb, Batman man. voice, but the it's their dumb voices. The, the whole voice. yeah, the whole yeah. all three movies are full of dumb voices. Yeah, yeah. And but they still yeah, Nolan, they still mean something, even though they're dumb. Like he put them that's there for a reason. So cool you know? that you taught me that. Fuck. Yeah. This is gonna be a fun show. <laughs> I think so. Uh is there anything else on the dark night that we should cover before we move on to our next segment, Ryan? No, no. You I know, I could. don't uh, just a quick note that unexciting parking garage. You know, I know we had to get rid of the back cave, but we're uh-huh. doing everything in just this, just a big room with a bunch of lights. It's not exciting. It's not Batman. It's no, no. James Bond or something. Yeah. You know what it I mean? It goes along it's... with the Michael Mann, the James, oh, like the shit. heavy procedural. Yeah. Fuck. It's, You're gonna it's that very clean. Michael Mann stuff. loves the expensive clean aesthetic like the house the billion the million dollar house that has no furniture in it that's like his yeah. dream you know yeah and his wife of course being dead um yeah. <laughs> also i wrote nolan makes men talking exciting uh and i wrote oppenheimer this sh- the the uh speed at which he's yeah. cutting between these shots of men talking yeah. and of course yeah. Hans Zimmer is doing his work but it's yeah. exciting and it feels like this journey it's it's that pull that you feel from movies sometimes where you're like here we yeah. go but it's yeah. a it's just a sh- bunch of shots of men talking and he did that to yeah. me again in Oppenheimer which I thought yeah was it's one of his uh we should talk uh, a, a lot more about his movies it's one of his uh, there are many uh, things that Christopher Nolan has discovered about how you can structure a film and that propulsive dialogue driven method is one because there's no, so in when the movies Oppenheimer is almost all this way, but when, when the dark Knight gets going, there's no establishing shots. There's no people walking into a room and saying like, let's now have a hi, nice to see you. Let's sure, now have sure, a conversation sure. about that. They hey, just, did you keep, know, I'm so I'm so sorry to interrupt. No. Please do not lose no, you your can't. train of thought. Did you know the establishing shot was <coughs> invented in, for the movie? Oh damn it! What's the old one with the KKKs or the heroes? The uh, Birth Come of on. a Nation. Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation yeah. was the first movie to ever do uh, establishing shot outside the house. Before we go inside the uh-huh. house, 
just wanted Amazing. to say that out loud yeah. because I knew that little tidbit. Okay, please that's, keep going. That's the problem with Birth of a Nation is it's very important to like how film developed as a medium, uh-huh. even though it's a fucking awful, horrendous right. piece of hate, you know? Right. Um, it's the it's the the rabbit's paw, you know, of, of film Or the history. monkey's paw. Yeah, the yeah. monkey's paw. Where you yes, get yes. all the good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a good, good way to look at um, it. Okay, I hope you didn't lose your train of thought. Yeah, so uh, so Nolan uh, does away with as many of the establishing shots as he can. He picked up a trick from Soderbergh. We'll, we'll watch some Soderberghs and talk about the Fuck. origin of this technique. That's a similar um, thing of men talking, and it somehow looks exciting. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen uh, Have you seen the Limey? Oh, shit. You, you know, I watched that movie on VHS when I was 10 years old. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. Or 12 years old or something, but... No, we I haven't will, seen it uh, as an adult. We will we will watch that one because that is the first movie that has this fluid Nolan style of telling a story without ever stopping to like set Establish the audience or, up. Yeah. 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 So, so the limey takes feel... place in the main character's memory as he's remembering a trip to Los Angeles and to try and mimic the feeling of remembering something uh conversations happen like uh he will start talking to Luis Guzman in a car uh about his daughter and then they'll be at dinner and then they'll be right. having drinks and then they'll be right. back in the car and it's all the same conversation but it's yeah. not linear with where they are because when you remember talking to me about the bat the dark night yeah. you're gonna bounce around back and forth about things we talked about without ever Going through and saying, "Well, first we did this, and then we did right. that, and then of course, and so because that's uh, how, yeah, to illustrate yeah. literal thought or yes. dream or whatever it is they're trying to convey, exactly. using the exactly. mechanisms of film." So Nolan figured out that the he could the back take of my neck is this up. technique. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. That's wonderful. I'm, it's very exciting talking to to someone Good. about this stuff. Uh, so Nolan figured out he could take this uh, Soderbergh's approach. Uh, and just use it to cut out all of the fat from his movies, all the shit he doesn't want to focus on. He doesn't want to waste yeah. time. Time is so important to Nolan. I he doesn't want to waste time on on watching Batman rock into a building. Watching yeah. Tenet is so much of him just being like, and now we are just talking about Nolan, but it's just yeah, so yeah. much of him just, just being like, shut up. I'm sick of explaining stuff. Like, yeah. who cares? <laughs> I don't want to explain what's going on. I don't want the 100%. guy to have to tell you with his mouth what's going on. Pick the fuck yeah. up what's going on. Even when the guy does stop to tell him to tell him what's going on, you can't hear it. Who cares? No, he doesn't, Shut up. He doesn't want Look you at to, yeah. the things. Like, yeah. that's <laughs> it's exactly that's what his movie. Yeah. That's what, especially Tenet. Oh my god. Yeah, that movie is just so like catch up. Yeah, this is a James Bond character. Suck it. Like, you get no information about him. You know James Bond, right? Catch the fuck up. The movie's happening. Like, okay, shit. I'm all right. I'm following you. That's how that movie feels. Nolan is such an interesting director, and I want to talk to him about about him with you. We'll do a book. Yeah. Cool. Great. Okay. So, uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we're getting into our next segment, American Psycho. (laughs) 